0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, January 15, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. British Prime Minister Gordon Brown is now behind a proposal to change Britain's organ donation policy from a system in which Brits must opt in to one where Brits will have to opt out. That's to keep their organs from being harvested by the government. Sigrid Fry-Revere, the Cato Institute's Director of Bioethics Studies, offers her take.
1: For millennia, bodies of the recently deceased have really had no value to anyone other than the family members who were interested in the bodies for the sake of mourning and for the sake of proper burial. And in recent history, uh, corpses began to take on value for medical experimentation. And most recently, in the last 20 to 30 years, really, only— they have taken on value um, for their organs. So essentially, they're life-saving organs, which are very much like gold, in a sense. And the question is, who should they belong to? The family members who historically have had possession of bodies and organs after death for burial rites and religious rituals, to the individual, him or herself, or to the community, or to the state, for the use of people who need them. And presumed consent puts, essentially, ownership in the hands of the state of those three choices. And the question is, is that the right answer to solving the organ shortage? Um, Which, by the way, we have an organ shortage because, in most countries, um, Iran is the only exception. It is against the law to sell body parts.
0: You said Iran is the only exception.
1: Iran is the only exception. And Iran has had um, has not had a waiting list for organs for ten years, while in this country we've got nearly ten um, I mean nearly a hundred thousand people waiting for organs.
0: Now currently in Britain, as in the United States, organ donation is an opt-in process. That is, we in the United States, we sign the back of our driver's license and we become organ donors, what is so much worse about a system in which you opt out, that is, the decision has to be made in the affirmative to declare your intention to not have your organs uh, used by the government or being used by uh, other people who need them?
1: It's switching the presumption of ownership from the individual to the government or the state. And in addition opt-out programs are only as good as they are easy to follow through on. And there is a um, case in in Ohio, um, Brotherton, which took place in the 90s, where cornea removal was something which the medical examiner or coroner could do on a regular basis. And a family challenged that this was done without their permission. And the law said the coroner could take them if he didn't have any knowledge of a patient's wishes, but then the court also said the coroner had no obligation to call the hospital to find out what the patient's wishes were, and the hospital had no obligation to call the coroner and tell him what the patient's wishes were. So it was clear the patient didn't want to donate, and the family sued, and the court upheld the presumed consent of the patient to have these corneas removed, specifically in a situation where the patient didn't want them removed. So essentially what presumed consent is, it's a way of subverting an individual's decision, because you don't even need a system of inform- of presumed consent unless people are going to say no, right? It's really a way of subverting people's choices.
0: What they're natural choice what their choice would be if they
1: were directly asked right you don't need a system of presumed consent unless people are going to say no if you ask them directly so it's in a sense it's kind of an orwellian system by which we we call it presumed consent but in actuality it is a taking or it's a violation of informed consent while you're alive that's something a lot of people don't understand is that if you donate your organs your body is treated differently in the dying process um, because they have to preserve the organs. So, if you're an organ donor, you know, you get kept alive on machines, you get pumped full of chemicals, there's all sorts of things they do to preserve those organs. And a lot of people don't want that as an end of life, how they die. And so, presumed consent would violate people's rights to make healthcare decisions while they're alive.
0: Okay, so there's some significant practical implications to your life, especially the end of your life, to whether or not you are presumed to have made this decision or that decision as to your organs.
1: There are really like I said, there's two rights that are being violated. Your individual fundamental individual right to make the decisions regarding your health care while you're alive, particularly towards the end of life, and second, your property rights once you're dead, once you're a corpse, in the interest of your body. You know, people say, well, you know, you don't need it anymore. Well, do you need your house? Do you need your personal possessions? Do you need your bank account after you're dead? Do those belong to the state? No. Well, either should your organs.
0: Our property rights, in a sense, though, have already been violated with regard to our organs by prohibiting us from receiving some sort of monetary value for it.
1: Absolutely, me. and I'm glad you brought that up because the real answer, there's, there's two things wrong with presumed consent. One, that it doesn't work. Okay, which I'll get into in a minute, and two, which I've just discussed, namely the whole problem that presumed consent, presumed consent, um, subverts. The fundamental right to make your own healthcare decisions, which is what I'm worried about. I'm worried about setting a precedent where we are going to slowly but surely take people's rights to make decisions at the end of life away from them. The other issue that's big is how do you solve the organ shortage? Um, and presumed consent is not going to do it. The system exists in Spain, Austria, uh, Singapore. Canada is considering it. New Zealand has it. And in all those countries, it has made a slight improvement in the number of donations, the number of organs available, but it has not solved the organ shortage. The only system that has solved the organ shortage is the sale of organs, which is what has happened in Iran. Iran, for the past 10 years, has had no organ shortage. Now, as bad as an example as Iran is for solving other problems in the world, you know, just because it's Iran that has done this doesn't mean we shouldn't look and see, now wait a minute, what have they done and why is it working? And it all comes down to they allow the sale of kidneys by live donors. We're not talking about selling dead corp, you know, organs from dead people. Um, as a matter of fact, if you took every single corpse that had viable organs— and donated them by force, by conscription or by theft, as presumed consent I think is, you wouldn't solve the organ shortage. There aren't enough cadaver organs to solve the organ shortage if you took every single one that's available. But Iran has solved it by allowing live donors. And the reason that works is because 76% of the people on the waiting list need kidneys. And we have two kidneys. And so if you sell one, you still have one. And so you can save somebody's life and make, make some money at the same time. Personally, I think, you know, I, I, as a libertarian, I don't like the idea of mandating anything. But I think the one mandate that would essentially save the system from most of the complaints people have about allowing the sale of organs would be to require um, mandatory health care to be provided, whether it's through a private contract or the government, for the donor, so that you don't run into the black market problems we have of where someone donates, gets $4,000 for the kidney, and goes home and bleeds to death because they don't want to spend their earnings on the doctor. So I think whatever program allows the sale of organs, the base price or the base selling, um, yeah, the base selling price has to include lifetime health insurance, whether that's in a health savings account or some other fashion. And that way, you don't have the argument that the donors are neglected. And you also discourage those who are purchasing organs from taking the guy on skid row, because he's going to cost more in the long run than a healthy person. And so that way, you know, you'd know, you end up paying them money on top of that for their organs, and you'd solve the organ shortage. Why people want to go to taking them instead of paying for them, I think, is obvious. If you can get away with it, right? If the government can get away with saying your body is a communal resource, they're going to do it. And the question is, do we want to go that way? You know, want to discourage Britain from going that way? As a populace, you know, will we stand for it? Um, because I think it's going to lead, it's going to prevent um, individuals from having any kind of right in their bodies, certainly after death, maybe even during life, and um, any control over end-of-life decisions.
0: Sigrid fry Revere is the Director of Bioethics Studies at the Cato Institute. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. Cato Audio is a 60-minute dynamic monthly CD that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from lectures hosted by Cato each month. You may subscribe at cato.org.